Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the SG Engage podcast. This is Rachel Hutchison, and I am really pleased to be joined today by a dear friend and colleague in the world of social good. I lead corporate social responsibility at Blackwood, and I love having these conversations with other people out there in the world of social good who are doing such interesting things. So today I am joined by Derek Feldman. Hello, Derek. Hello. How are you? I'm good. And Derek is a researcher, author, He advises companies and causes. He does all sorts of things. And he has a book that has just come out and he's published some really interesting research. But let's just start, Derek, with who you are. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. uh, And and it could be kind of confusing at times, I think, uh, because as people kind of Google or, or, or look at the things that I've done, but there is actually a thread, which I'll probably get to a little later in the conversation. So I uh, split my time between two major things. One is I, I lead the Ad Council's uh, strategic consulting arm called Ad Council Edge. And so which I, we work really in the formative stages with brands and causes when they're looking to do big public engagement campaigns. So whether that be you know, things like Mask Up America to all other kinds of campaigns. Essentially, um, we work in the really early stages when somebody says, hey, you know, we've got this social purpose as a brand, and now we want to start to engage consumers and so forth. In addition to that, my other side of the house is I also oversee a research uh, group called Influence SG. And specifically in that group, we focus on understanding young Americans and their social issue engagement. And it comes out of more than, gosh, I think it's been 15 years that I've been studying young people and how they get involved in social issues. And so we look at it from that standpoint, from both corporate engagements and campaigns, as well as causes and just really trying to understand the movement space even better. So that's my, that's sort of the two roles. Right. So uh, you're obviously very busy and, and you know that I love the Ad Council. Many people don't know the name, but, you know, when I was growing up, I'm showing my age here, but that's the group that did Smokey Bear, you know, yeah, Keep America absolutely. Beautiful, all these wonderful, iconic campaigns that really, um, you know, bring a lot of warm memories to, to all of us. So so that's pretty cool. So yeah. as you said, you've done tons of different things. We got to know each other through the millennial research that you did and the Millennial Conference that you ran for many years. But you have some new things going on. You have just published a new book. So I'd love to know, like, what moved you to write this? Um, What's the focus? And tell us a little bit to begin with, and then we'll dig into the takeaways of what the book gives us. Absolutely. So um, really, in my journey has been through more than a decade now, I have always let the research guide what I not only focus on, but also where my interests have, have really come to come out to play. So as you mentioned, for more than a decade, I've been involved in understanding millennials. And now we look at 18 to 30 year olds. So now the Gen Z millennial uh, generations and their social issue engagement. And it was even mid, mid sort of into that decade that we were doing this research where we started to see the power of social movements. And so from there, I had written a book called Social Movements for Good, which essentially was looking at how companies and causes were influencing through movements, young Americans' participation in social issues. And as we kept on doing the research year over year, 
there was this really incredible institution that was having influence on young Americans, not only knowledge uh, and attitude, but some of their behaviors when it came to social issues overall. And whether they were working in uh, for these companies or institutions or whether they were on the, on the consumer side, either way, we started to see a lot of this influence happening. And so for the last five years, we have been researching and documenting how companies were beginning that to really in persuade and engage young Americans. And over the last two years, as we moved into this sort of new realm of our research called cause and social influence, which is a new body of research after we sunsetted the Millennial Impact Project, there were two major things that came out of that research consistent, consistently. And one is, is that brands were heavily influencing cause and consumer participation. And we can get into some of the theories on that a little bit later. And the second thing that was really coming out of that is, as we were looking at the transactional behaviors, and I don't just mean donations and volunteerism, I look at social issue participation online and social networks, to activism, movements, and so forth, Companies were at some of the forefront of some of those actions, and they were very influential. And so two years ago, I sort of uh, began to look at the research and sort of bundle it into a, uh, some of the insight that I was also gaining in my work working with some of the companies that were focused on getting consumers to activate on their social issue and purpose platforms. And so that kind of led to the book. So essentially, the research kind of led us to this place and the experiences that I had with some of the brands trying to get young Americans and consumers to activate. Yeah. So you know that this is near and dear to my heart since I lead corporate social responsibility at Blackwood and more than half of our um, employee population years ago was millennial. I don't even know what it is today. And then of course we have the yeah. generation coming up after the millennials, but I love what you said about the companies doing such interesting things because there's this thing when you work with the nonprofit sector like we do, and I love nonprofits. I think they do amazing things. But there's sometimes this belief that companies are kind of over on the side and their role is just to give to nonprofits. Mm, when yeah. and it, it you know it kind of underrepresents all of the good that they do on their own. And I think of them as conveners of people. And that really kind of flows into a lot of what you're talking about. So I've read the book, obviously. It was fantastic, very um, close to what I do for a living. But what do you hope that the people who read your book will take away from it? What are the key learnings? Yeah, you know, and I and a lot of this comes out of um, my time with brands who were, and, and as you can imagine, with all the research I've done on young Americans, primarily more consumer-facing brands came to me through the last more than a decade now and said, we want to get you know, young Americans to do X, Y, Z, and we're going to do a campaign tied to product, maybe not tied to product and so forth. And, you know, I deal with that too, also at the Ed Council. And so, so a lot of it comes out of how do you approach not only public engagement, but I was joined by my colleague in the book, Michael Albert Sieberich, who does social impact work primarily on the CSR side of the world, probably a little bit more in your world than, than I would, as I focus more on public action campaigns. And, and so as we were going through this, we, our goal was is to look at how marketing and CSR could come together. And specifically, especially when I have worked with more, say, the consumer-facing brands, they didn't really have the mindset. And I use that word purposefully, which obviously it's part of the title, the corporate social mind, is, is that they didn't approach it in the way that so many others were uh, in looking at social impact because they would say things to me as, you know, we are going to share this campaign or this story about this particular social issue topic. 
And while they had really great values and purpose, they'd gone through all of this other stuff, is that they really weren't telling the social impact story authentically to the audience. And not only were they not telling it to the audiences, what I discovered is, is that the teams actually didn't quite understand the social issue and really what people were going through to effectively communicate public action. And it kind of comes down to this mindset of when you're in a role to get public or the consumer to take action on a social issue and you're sitting within companies, it's how do we approach that work? What should we be thinking of and be mindful of so that we do it appropriately? that we do it honestly, and that we're adding value to the issue and not distracting from it. And I think that that was our sort of core tenets behind the scenes that Michael and I were designing the book. And so we go through these different traits and exercises to try to help people understand the mindset if you're going to go into looking at social impact work from from that perspective overall. So any top line guidance you would give on that? Yeah, the first thing is, is oftentimes, and I sometimes see things either happen after the fact, or they're about ready to launch something. And Rachel, I'll give you two particular instances. In the last week and a half, a brand came to me and said, you know, we've tested this and we think it tests well, will you take a look at it? And it was around a mental health topic related to young Americans that this brand was starting to push out there. And and one of the things that was very clear is that while they understood all the data related to the issue, they weren't really understanding what they really didn't put in place two particular things. The real story in the context as to how teens and young people were dealing with mental health in light of, say, COVID or in light of dealing with sort of the digital disconnectedness that can often happen when you're only just looking in social networks and not sort of the, the interactions that are more meaningful. And so one of the key questions I said, did you actually listen to people that are affected by this or did you go off of the data? And this is where nonprofits can be very useful to companies is be a resource to companies. Specifically, you know, this brand had not actually spent time with people who were affected with the issue. They were going off of just issue statistics and saying, this is an important area. It aligns with our values and purpose, but they actually hadn't spent the time appropriate. The second thing that was very clear is that they didn't articulate at all where they were truly going to add value to the issue. And so some of the people who I had actually connected with who are in the teen mental health space said, you know, we have done that. We have, you know, what are they going to contribute and add value to this social issue? And while the marketing team understood that, hey, you know, we're going to align it this way and we're going to send it out to try to achieve our own personal internal goals related to units or anything else, the CSR team was struggling from their perspective to understand how not not just how it aligns with values and purpose, but primarily what value they're going to add to the issue because they want to effectively have sort of a, a piece that shows that we are that we are contributing to society rather than detracting overall. And so one of the core things that we do throughout the book uh, and specifically is talk about these eight traits. And some of these traits, as I mentioned, is listens before we act. We come to these things uh, understanding the true authentic constructs of what people are dealing with in society. And if we are going to do anything related to whether it be a public campaign, a social issue program, is, is that we're making decisions with those players at the table with us so that they also understand where we are going to add value, contribute and support their existing work. And a lot of that hadn't taken place and they were about ready to go to launch. Yeah, that's interesting. Those two key points, you're getting proximate to the problem, which is a phrase I'm hearing a lot. 
recently and then really understanding what value you add. You know, there's such good intentions, but nonprofits are wonderful partners in really deeply understanding the cause areas that they focus on and having been literally at the grassroots level. And, you know, they can help you connect with people who are actually dealing with this issue themselves so that they are part of co-creating the, the yeah. solution. And, and Rachel, one of the things I mentioned in the book as, as another trait of this is, is that as companies, and you know this so well, is that you don't have to be the leading voice. You don't have to be the hero in all of this, but you do have to be contributing, contributing voice, right? And not detracting and all of that. And, and making that decision is, can be really hard as to where it aligns, right? Because you have to get a lot of things. You got to get several teams internally involved with how that looks and sort of where do we add value for the company, but also where do we add value for society too in general. And we often think that we need to be the leaders of all of it. You know, I told this friend, I said, why don't you look at doing something smaller and getting our feet wet and working with a nonprofit or at least working with somebody that delivers direct service so that we truly learn through this? And it doesn't have to be a financial contribution. Unless we can, we the company has so many different assets, tangible, intangible, financial, non-financial, that could contribute to something in the next, you know, six to eight months. But be very upfront with the nonprofit that this is a learning process for us because this is an issue that we see ourselves getting involved with. That's a different kind of approach and mindset rather than saying, you know, Q3, we're going to launch something and that's just what's going to happen. Yeah, you made a really key point there, Derek. In you know, companies can learn a lot from nonprofits and causes, but it's also the other way. And having that conversation means that the nonprofit will then become more aware of the, the resources that are separate from Completely. cash that yep. a company can bring to bear. And they're extensive and often they don't think about it. And sometimes the company doesn't realize it. It just comes up. Oh, no, well, we have this. We can do this. So we can field that study for you. We can do that. We, is it, it really helps you develop a richer solution. So you also did some research recently, which you released when the book came out. So can you tell us a little bit about what that was about and um, some major findings? Yeah, absolutely. So we, as, as a part of this, we, Michael and myself, launched the sort of global research study, which is the global part is actually starting next month. But essentially, we, we want to understand how these eight traits, as we talk about in the book, along with the public's expectations participation and action with companies, not for companies, but with companies on social issues, what that really looks like globally and where do we see some trends and so forth. Now, given the moment that we're currently in in the U.S., we focused not only looking at social issues largely, but we also targeted four major social issues, which we'll be doing certain social issues in other countries as well. The U.S. country issues that we focused on here included race, social justice, gun issues, voting, because obviously we have an election coming up. And the last one would be the environment. So we were looking at it from the perspective of what are you doing? What have you done with companies based upon their influence or call to actions to you? And what do you perceive what should be the expectation when they develop new products and elements going forward? Two things really, uh, you know, in, in looking at this as we were kind of going through the data consistently, and there were a thousand census projected rep individuals uh, in the U.S. that were part of the study. And those two things are this. One is, is that there is a high expectation, but that high expectation has somewhat been there for a while. It's well noted in other research. And I think you, you've seen some of that, Rachel, too, as well. But, but I think what's very important is what is it that we expect? And one, one of the aspects in that what we expect is to understand 
what it is the, the company believes about certain social issues, especially those social issues that I talked about. And it wasn't necessarily that it was they're going to give contributing dollars or anything, but they're using their voice and their platform to help their consumers also understand not only what they believe in on those social issues, but also around education and knowledge building around those issues. So this is where companies, this is an intangible piece, right? You talk about the intangibles and non-financials. This is a great way to help be an educational source with consumers about certain social issues that relate to the purpose platform or the CSR platform that's going on. The, the second thing that I think is quite telling is, you know, we're realistic that in the real world, there is a situation where, you know, we want the conscious consumer to come to the store every time. But we also, uh, we also realize that there are so many economic conditions that challenge one's decision in that moment, whether to buy a more conscious product versus not. So we did some exercises in there that you should take a look at. And, and what we discovered is that it wasn't a resounding, you know, 80% of the people would buy, you know, spend more money with brands that were more, that were more social issue minded, but rather that it was really in the 30s to 40%. And we did several conjoint exercises where we forced decision. And what that tells us is it helps us to understand the baseline. And there's been some other data around this, but we have to be realistic about the economic conditions, especially we're doing this in post COVID time too as well. So we're realistic that there's high expectation when it comes to understanding beliefs and purpose with the company, but at the same time, doesn't necessarily matter in terms of the spending right now, not necessarily, but I think it's important as we look at this across countries and to see how it increases from here. So you did the study, you released the book. Is there anything particularly, you know, in the study and in combination with what you're talking about in the book that really surprised you? Yeah, I would say uh, we had several questions around what companies should do now with developing products going forward. We are in this unique moment. I know, Rachel, all the work that you've done at BlackBot to you know, address not only COVID, but other issues this year is that we're looking, is, the, is there an expectation now going forward with development of new products and services with a more socially conscious minded perspective? And what we discovered is true. And, and specifically, what the what consumers were saying in that study to us is we expect that the company is going to go out and understand its implications on its own employees which you talked about your employees two is is that we are going to un that the company is going to do its due diligence to understand how it affects local economies families people like my own family as well the third thing is is that we're going to understand how it how it's going to have an impact on the environment so we have expectations not just on an issue but also personally when it comes to now the development of new product services and, and goods. And so essentially what they're saying going forward is that there is a higher expectation when it comes to sort of the new development of products post to COVID. And I don't think we're in a post COVID, right? We're in a pandemic environment going now. And I think a lot of that comes out of the fact that this year, just given where Americans are dealing not only with the pandemic, but some of our other movements as well. So, You've been thinking about this, you know, cause action and cause action through companies and, and connected to causes for, for, you know, as you said, more than 15 years. If you wanted to leave our audience with a couple of like key areas of advice, um, whether they're from a nonprofit or whether they're from a company or they're just interested in the world of social good, what would those be? I mean, even if it's beyond your book and, and this current set of research, what are those like 
fundamental truisms that that you'd like to share? Yeah, uh, my my sort of golden one of my, a couple of my golden principles uh, are as follows. The first thing is, is nobody ever does it for you, for your company, for your cause, for your nonprofit, for your wonderful strategic plan that you created. You know, we get involved in social issues because I want to. And I'm going to use the assets of the company. I'm going to use the assets of a nonprofit to have my own personal impact on something. And so when you got to switch away from the it's for us, but rather it's for the individual, understand that, you know, the, the institutions, the companies are just conduits to the social sort of social issue work that we're trying to impact and, and really get involved with. The, the second thing is, is that there is an expectation that whatever action I take, there's some sort of good that comes out of it and a small advancement for society. And what I mean by that is nobody does stuff because in 2030, we're going to set up a big, hairy, audacious goal. We do it because we're living in this moment and it feels real to me. And I want to understand if I do something, what short-term milestone am I achieving with you and together for this sort of social issue? And we forget that sort of the short-term mentality and milestones leading to broader social issue change is important. And that's why I talk to companies a lot about, you know, we don't have to solve global hunger tomorrow. But if you do ask people to take action, what do you want to help contribute to? And let's help them understand specifically what that is. The third thing is, is everybody who is involved in sort of social issues wants to see progress. And in order to see progress, they have to feel progress. And we feel progress through stories. We feel it through our interactions with people. And we make it real as much as possible. I mean, the vast majority of the public is not you know, going down and visiting with beneficiaries every single day. It's our job as corporate marketers, as cause marketers, to really help people feel what's going on related to these issues and feel that the action that they just took did something for someone else. And, and while, you know, this is related to money and I know my fundraisers and, you know, would say, you know, it is around that, but in order to get to that part, we have to truly feel the challenge that someone goes through on an issue in order to evoke a response. And that is one of the things, you know, you hear it about storytelling, you hear it about everything else. At the end of the day, are we helping people feel truly what's going on in the issue to feel like they can have an impact? One other final thing that I mention is as you design any kind of action campaign or anything for the public to engage with is the more and more that you ask an individual to take a small step, it leads to something else. You know, reduce the expectation that everybody is going to go out, march and rally tomorrow, be your best corporate employee volunteer. And I know you have to deal with that all the time, Rachel, to you know, being your best corporate giver and donor is that a lot of people, they don't sit on the sidelines, but they are listening. They are participating. And we don't need to go for gold every single time. We don't need to ask everybody to do everything as much as possible to the biggest, highest expectation. The vast majority of the public wants to be a part of change. It doesn't necessarily mean they're ready to be your, you know, award-winning corporate volunteer, award-winning constituent fundraising donor, any of that. They just, you know, they want to be a part of it. They want to belong. They want to belong to what's going on with the issue because they believe in it. 
Yeah. And that's an interesting point, Derek, that, you know, we're all at different points on the spectrum and like, even just with volunteers and it's like, there's an arc where you, you know, just stick your toe in the water and you go out and you do something just like during a day of service because everybody else is doing it. And then you start figuring out that you like it. And then you start figuring out there are other skills you could use. And it's, it's such a trajectory that, that each person goes on, you know, at his or her own um, pace. Exactly. And, and so, Rachel, I, I want to make one comment on that is honestly, what you have to do every day, as well as anybody in a cause is how do you create a really great journey for somebody to get started and to go further? And, you know, and, and pacing it, right? And helping people understand the issue or helping them get deeply involved even further as they go along. And it's, that's, the, that's the long tail hard part of it because we need short, some people desire short term, you know, response and, and KPIs. And that's the really hard balance between these two worlds. So as we wrap up this conversation, I would love to know um, for our listening audience, are there places that listeners should go to if they want to learn more about the research, if they want to check out the book? Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find the research and download it all at the corporatesocialmind.com. The book's there too as well. Uh, and we'll be publishing additional, as I mentioned, we'll be, we'll be doing this in other countries. We have Germany coming up in August. Uh, and then we've got the UK, Canada. Um, we'll be looking at Brazil and a couple other countries um, uh, too as well, Korea. Uh, will also be in there. So we'll definitely want to sign up for some alerts as we can look at that and also look at how that trends. We'll be going in the field, not just once a year, but actually multiple times as we've had to this year, given all the mo movements and moments that are happening. If you're interested in the Young American uh, studies that we do on 18 to 30-year-olds and the social influences from companies and influencers and brands and media and entertainment, take a look at causeandsocialinfluence.com. And all of that data is in there. And this year has been a busy year for that, as we've been in the field every 30 days related to COVID, Black Lives Matter, uh, and several other movements that are occurring, voting as well. Yeah, and say that URL again. Yeah, that's causeandsocialinfluence.com. Well, Derek, I cannot thank you enough for spending some time with us today on the SG Engage podcast and sharing all the exciting and interesting things you're doing. It really is a fascinating time to be doing research. And I'm appreciative of how quickly you added some research initiatives to your portfolio and you keep them. You're always looking at what is incredibly current. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Rachel, for all your incredible work too as well. So to the SG Engage podcast listeners, it's been great being with you. Please check out our other episodes. And until next time, this is Rachel Hutchison signing off. <laughs>